Hi, everyone, and thanks for tuning in to Beats Research Radio, a podcast and YouTube channel dedicated to bringing our community closer to research in the science and engineering fields. My name is Ramal Hakim, a student from the TMM program at U Ottawa, and I'll be your host on today's special podcast episode for the Science Communications course. Medical innovations, though life-saving, are usually expensive. For the Canadian public health system, it may not make sense to fund certain treatments with limited resources. While this statement may strike some as unfair, it prompts a critical question. What purpose does an advanced medical intervention serve if it remains financially inaccessible to the general population? Regardless of the treatment's remarkable efficacy, novelty, or pioneering nature, its value diminishes considerably if it fails to align with the financial means of its intended target users. Take, for example, canakinumab, which is an inflammation therapy which has shown promise in clinical trials for treating cardiovascular disease. Researchers have conducted investigations regarding this cost-effectiveness, and they've shown that this drug is unfortunately a long way from being readily accessible as a miracle drug. So please, everyone, welcome Dr. Doug Coyle, one of the researchers involved in investigating and evaluating canakinumab's cost-effectiveness. He's a researcher and a professor at the University of Ottawa at the Faculty of Medicine. Dr. Coyle won the SMDM Career Achievement Award in 2021 and is a leading expert in his field. We are so happy to have you on Beats Research Radio, Dr. Coyle. Thank you very much. It's very happy to be here and happy, as always, to talk about my work. Absolutely. Thank you. So I guess we'll start with a quick primer. So um, we touched on it briefly, but what are your current research interests focused? And when it comes to healthcare funding, what would you like everybody to know? Okay, so my research interest, I mean, I, I do studies like the study you mentioned for Kanakinimab that um, look at new technologies and try and help decision makers make those difficult decisions about which technologies to fund or reimburse and those not to. And I also do a lot of research or methodological research looking at better ways to estimate what the long-term implications of new treatments are. When you, when you think about a clinical trial with a new drug, we might have data for three months or six months at most about how it impacts patients, but these treatments might be given for lifetimes. And so what I'm trying to or what I've been developing is guidelines on how best to try and forecast what the long-term implications of treatments would be, because ultimately what we want to do with the studies we do is know what the real long-term impact to patients are over their lifetime of different treatment choices and also what the impact on the healthcare system. And and as you implicated, the fact that if we treat um, one patient with a very heavy cost intervention, it, it means other treatments for other patients can't be given. And so we have to deny treatments that previously we would have funded. And then a lot of new technologies, the, the, the average cost of treating people, for example, by drugs is now 20 times as high as it was 20 wow. years ago. And and that's where the, the big impact is, is we're moving a lot of our resources out of, you know, the basic surgical care, human resources, nursing staff, etc putting them towards high cost technologies that frankly don't give the same return in terms of health benefits than the previous treatments they used to give people. Wow, that's actually really interesting. So I guess in that you kind of encompassed why we need these studies so that we can figure out how best to mitigate those decision making uh, steps, etc. And I realized that some of the key findings that you found in your paper also touched on this. You also mentioned that um, the cost right now is many times what it was years ago. To what extent do you believe these findings apply to the healthcare systems outside Ontario or Canada? Is this universal? Oh, th- this is definitely universal. I mean, wow. it's just the fact that um, when, when when we talked about breakthrough drugs 
25, 30 years ago, <laughs> older than you are, uh, that we had uh, technologies that were were making substantive improvements uh, to people's health, but the uh, the cost of those technologies was so much more limited. So if you look at the area like osteoporosis, we had drugs called bisphosphonates um, that substantially re reduced the risk of uh, uh, postmenopausal women having uh, hip fractures. So a major benefit to patients, but they cost what we thought at the time was quite a lot, you know, seven, eight hundred dollars a year to treat these patients. Uh, nowadays, we have newer technologies in the same area, and they can cost up to $10,000 per patient per year with very little extra benefit. And, and part of the problem is, is that we made so much improvement to health in the past through technologies that the incremental improvements nice. in the new technologies we're doing now is, is so much smaller in an absolute effect. And so the studies I do, it's, it's, it's not always an area that gets a lot of positive press because people think we're only worried about cost because that's what we're measuring. But really, all the studies are designed to do is say whether or not the overall health of the population will rise if we fund this, bearing in mind those technologies they can no longer fund, or will the overall health of the population decline. And when you've got a technology that costs an awful lot and you have to start thinking about all the things we can no longer do, then um, that's when we can work out whether or not it's actually going to lead to a decrease in the overall health of the population. Wow, that is actually really eye-opening. So I guess you would also agree with the statement that the standard of care has potentially gone down as well as a result of this financial burden. I, I think so. I think what we... we it, we focus a lot on, on the sort of harder outcomes um, and, and less on what the quality of the care might be. And, and I think when you start to see, uh, you know, when you, you go and try and get yourself a, an ultrasound or an X-ray or an MRI, you're waiting months to receive that. You need a surgical procedure. You have to wait for a couple of years. Those things are, are, are new situations for Canadians. We've, we've not really had to deal with that type of, um, scenarios before and now we are and, and a lot of that is because the resources available for the sort of standard cares that we used to receive are less than they were previously and that that I think is a worry I mean I think we we see a lot uh, of media and press coverage of new breakthrough technologies and people just you know, recite the press release from a pharmaceutical company saying how wonderful their new drug is and it's not that they're not an improvement. It's not that they're a step forward. Um, what we don't hear a lot about is what's not being provided anymore or what the delays for what we used to get are becoming higher and higher. And so um, there is that, you know, pressure on our system that, you know, is, is going to become more problematic. I think when people start to realize they're going to wait a year or two for surgery when they're in pain, uh, I think there's a point where we need to start to sort of dial back about our ability to pay for some of the more expensive things. And when we look at some of the technologies we're dealing with now, it's not unheard of for a technology to cost $100,000 per patient per year. Mm -hmm. That amount of resources just could provide so much more care for so many more and improve their situation. And and I think we we 
don't focus on the large number of people who are just waiting for for the care to be provided to them. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, from firsthand experience and family experience, I know how difficult it is um, coming from another country too, experiencing the healthcare system here. It is kind of a massive shock. And I know you were mentioning both the cost and the pressure on Canadians and potentially pharmaceutical companies. And back to your kind of area of expertise, the verdict that we saw in your paper was that kenakinumab needed to drop by in price by about 91% uh, to have an appropriate cost per patient, which is honestly pretty crazy to me. So do you think that actually is realistic? How could we mitigate no. these costs? Yeah, absolutely. I, I don't think they are. I think the, in part of the problem is that you've got to realize that in, in many of the clinical areas for which we had the most concerns about. So here we're talking about cardiovascular disease. Uh, we're also talking that, that another area of major concern is on cancer and oncology, you know, concerns about survival of patients. The treatments we've had in the past were very effective and made major changes. And so what we've got to realize is, unfortunately, the new treatment, the incremental changes they can make can never be substantive enough to justify that type of figure of a cost. So with kind of kinabab, it's like a, a numbers of tens of thousands per year per patient. And so it's not that it's not feasible. I think the problem right now is is that basically the sticker price is just too high. And the consequences isn't that we should just, well, we should just find a ways of affording it. What we have to recognize is that you're giving up health to other people by doing so. Wow. So you would say, I guess, for aspiring physicians, healthcare providers, that it's not just about the research that you do, but then also when you look to translating that, working with the patients and making sure that you're not compromising their own comfort for kind of the high costs that you're implementing at the very beginning. Absolutely. I, I think sometimes we, we miss what our true patient-related outcomes. We also, I mean, it's one of those problems about working in a healthcare system that a lot of the push is what is towards what I call for-profit medicine. So things mm-hmm. like drugs, because that's got a lobby group. It's got enough resources behind it to push for those funding. And so when we think about how the healthcare is, system is being managed, it's, I think we should be thinking about the fact that, you know, maybe we've got to start looking at where there's inadequacies, where, where our standard of care has slipped. And uh, I would say that it, it's in care rather than treatment. Absolutely. That's a that's a great point, I guess, involving people in this might also bring up awareness and maybe help shift that. What advice do you have for kind of the average person listening to this and having the same kind of what worries and wonders about this topic? I, I would have thought that the, the, the best thing for the average person to do is start to recognize we can't pay for everything and everything we pay for has consequences down the line. And mm-hmm. it, and it's quite fascinating how little that's been, that people have bought onto that yet in the, in terms of healthcare in Canada. I used to sit on the Committee for Ontario where we actually made recommendations about which drug to cover and which drugs not to cover in terms of the Ontario government. And even members of that committee struggled to recognize that if you choose to fund in one area, it means resources aren't available elsewhere. And and people in the UK kind of recognize now that the the problem isn't the government not paying for the new technologies, it's the new technologies aren't giving enough benefit 
for how much they cost. And it's a different way of looking at it. And I think it would be great if we could actually have more public discussion about these types of issues, because I think if people start to realize what the consequences are of these decisions, then they might stop thinking that, you know, it's wrong that the government doesn't pay for this. And in reality, the situation with Kanakinabab was it does reduce the event. But when we look at the impact in terms of the life expectancy of the individual patients and their quality of life, it's not a huge gain for the amount of money that we're actually putting towards it. And frequently, it's, it's that's where it becomes really difficult. And that's where you know, my methodological interest lies these days is, is trying to work out what you know those short-term trial information tells us and what does that mean in terms of really the long-term benefits to patients because sometimes you know something looks great it reduces the risk of this by 50 percent but that might only extend the life of a patient by a couple of months and then when you're spending so much on it then the resource you can't justify that level of resources Oh, absolutely. That actually is a pretty, again, eye-opening answer. You know, sometimes as science students, we don't really look at um, the interdisciplinary approach and see how that could impact us even moving forward. So I think it's been a great reminder to everybody studying right now that it's not just the decision that you see in front of you. It's kind of how that's going to impact later on. Absolutely. When When you're thinking about, say, you're looking at the impact of a treatment for diabetes and you measure HbA1c, which is the, one of the markers, uh, blood hemoglobin levels, and that would be your early scientific work would be to see what the impacts of that reduction would be. Well, when we're then making a decision about what diabetes medications we can afford, we have to say, well, what does that mean in terms of stopping patients having strokes and stopping patients having heart attacks and stopping patients needing renal transplantation, all the risks of diabetes. And then you start to realize, well, a small reduction in HbA1c looks great on paper. It's what you need to measure from a science experiment angle. But then when we make things, make a decision about what that's going to do in terms of impact in patients, we need to try and model um what does that mean over the lifetime of a patient, which is becomes a really complex and I think fun and from a geeky point of view, but also very vital as well. Absolutely. This has been really insightful. So I really want to give you a huge thanks. We don't want to take more of your time, but honestly, it gives us a lot to think about. Thank you so much, Dr. Absolutely. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed it. And if there's any follow up, just let me know. And that's it. That's all listeners. Thank you so much for joining us today. This episode was produced by Sara Al-Sayadi, hosted by Rama Al-Hakim, written by Maryam Mahran, and audio production by Lisa Chen. All copyrights reserved to Beats Research Radio and the University of Ottawa. Catch you next time. This podcast features the song Paranoia by Secret Ops, available under a Creative Commons commercial license.